me up to that. Praise the Lord. Well, we continue in our verse-by-verse study through the book of Philippians. If you'll make your way to the book of Philippians, so far we've had an in-depth study of chapter 1, verses 1 through 26, and we've also seen in the book of Philippians, in addition to that text, that it's a good template for this year's theme, being members one of another. Today, we pick up where we left off in the last time we preached in Philippians, in chapter 1, finishing up chapter 1, verses 27 to 30. Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 to 30, for a message that I've titled, Putting the Gospel on Display, or Showcasing the Gospel in My Life. Philippians 1, beginning in verse 27. Only let your conduct be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that of God. For unto you it is given, in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. This passage concludes the first chapter of Philippians, which deals with the partnership in the gospel in which all believers share. We share in the gospel partnership. And this passage exhorts us exhorts us to put it on display, both individually as well as a corporate church. And folks, this passage brings into sharp focus the certainty that persecution will follow those who put the gospel on display. You've heard me say it a number of times. I, I used to believe that it was possible for preaching like I preach, uh, the theology of the Word of God, without, uh, without compromise, I believe, without uh, fear or favor, <clears throat> that is, uh, uh, anybody could be sitting in the audience and I would bring the same truth. At least that's my heart attitude that I want to. Uh, you would know whether or not uh, that is uh, a reality or not. By virtue of your attendance here today, I, I'm, I'm, I'm understanding that you do believe that to be the case. Um, I used to believe that it was possible, maybe someday, this kind of preaching would land you in trouble uh, with society, with the authorities, with the court system, and the like. Now I believe it actually will happen. If I preach very many more years, my guess is uh, I will be uh, charged uh, with um, hate crimes. I, I actually believe that because of teaching what the Word of God says. For instance, preacher, what? Well, that marriage is only and forever will only be between one man who was born male and one woman who was born female. Isn't it pitiful that it has to be qualified that way? That kind of preaching in Canada has already been deemed hate speech and it's not far uh, from that being the case. And, uh, and there are many other aspects and nuances of all of that. Well, the Apostle Paul told the Philippians that because of your gospel partnership, gospel partnership with him, 
And of course, he was in jail and that he had been in jail when he was with them. The founding of the church of Philippi caused Paul and Silas to end up in prison uh, in Acts chapter 16. And currently, at the time of the writing, he was under house arrest in Rome. And so Paul knew what he meant, they knew what he meant, and they were in partnership with him. Problems are coming, and he said... Even though problems are coming, even though you're going to be uh, charged with hate crimes, even though you're going to be uh, uh, labeled uh, any number of things, um, put the gospel on display. Are you ready, child of God, to put the gospel on display? Amen? Or to continue to put the gospel on display in your life. Let's look at this. First of all, in verses 20, uh, verse 27, the first part of verse 27, in order to put the gospel on display, I must stand firm. I must stand firm. Clearly, it says that in verse 27, let your conduct be as is becometh of the gospel. That is, it showcases it, uh, that whether I come to see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast. You stand firm. And the key phrase here is, let your conversation be, or maybe your translation says, let your conduct or conduct yourselves. It's the word for citizenship. It's the very word from which we get the word politics, which has to do uh, with the, the, the people in a particular society. And in this case, it's the politics, it's the citizenship of the kingdom of heaven. And the verb is imperative. It is a command here. So it, it is saying, conduct yourself, be the type of citizen of the kingdom that will put it on display. In other words, be out there. Uh, don't be in the closet. Come out of the closet uh, and, and, and showcase yourself. I am a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. He and he alone is the way, the truth, and the life. And I am a, I'm a, I'm, I'm a poster for him in our culture, in our society. Folks, the world is receiving all kinds of, of nonsense and uh, ungodliness and all. It's high time that those who are blood-bought, who are Bible believers, simply stand up and say so. That we are standing, and a local church d- would do the very same thing. Stand firm this principle, emphatic. In fact, it's emphatic in chapter 3 and verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven. So we're commanded to be proper citizens, uh, to stand firm in God's kingdom and to showcase us. Now, in doing that, and you say, okay, preacher, I believe, what will that actually look like? How will that present itself? How will I put that on display? How will I actually put on display the gospel in my life and in the life of this local church? Well, first of all, if you're going to be a citizen, a good citizen of any kingdom, you have to revere the king. And of course, he is the king of kings and lord of lords. And so my life cannot be casual. I was talking to Kathy, I think uh, uh, we flew back in last night, got in late uh, uh, from seeing my daughter's uh, graduation ceremony. And I don't know how we got on the subject, but last night in the car, um, I said, I am almost irked. I'm certainly grieved by the casual commitment to Christ that we see uh, in uh, 21st century American Christendom. That is, well, Jesus is, uh, uh, is, is I, I know him, I'm surrendered him, he's my, uh, he's my savior and all, but just a casual type 
uh, of a commitment uh, that it's a it's a Sunday to, Sunday and then I'll get back next Sunday and all instead of it being loving the Lord thy God with all thy heart mind and strength in other words revering him moment by moment folks he's the king He's, Lord. he's not just the king, he's the king of all kings. He's the Lord of all lords. Therefore, he demands, he deserves, and he delights in my full-hearted, full-throated reverence to him. I'm to have that type of allegiance. You know, you think about it throughout even world history, and even in our time, the Roman Empire, Caesar worship. Uh, in, uh, in World War II uh, with Japan, emperor worship. And even now, uh, in our day, and I checked on this, you know the folks uh, in North Korea essentially worship the supreme leader there? I mean, it is truly sad. Uh, it, is, it is pitiful. Well, if they are doing that, and all of those leaders are either dead or will die, and our king is alive forevermore, amen? <laughs> he is to be revered. The first thing about putting the gospel on display, stand firm by revering. Be a, a good citizen of the kingdom. That's, that's the word. It's citizenship is revere the king. And then secondly, if you will, regard the laws. That is, follow what the king has said. In order to properly revere the king in any culture, you must follow what the king has said. And it is especially critical in this case because, after all, he's the head. He's the Lord. He's the master. And what he says goes. You know, uh, you've, uh, you've heard this said. Uh, I've alluded to this a time or two. Uh, God said it. I believe it. That settles it. No, that's wrong. God said it. That settles it. Amen? Now, if I believe it, that's all the blessing for me. But it settles it whether I believe it, whether I obey it or not. So if I'm going to put the gospel on display by standing firm, being a good citizen of the kingdom, it must mean that uh, I regard, I follow what he has said. Because they're absolute. And what is it? How could you summarize what he has said? Love him with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength. And love one another as yourself. It could be summarized that way. Follow what he has said. And then, playing right into that, if I'm going to be a good citizen of the kingdom, I'm going to stand firm in my gospel partnership by respecting others. In other words, walking in unity, it's not about me. It's never been about me, and it's never going to be about me, and you could apply that to you. It's not, the church is not about you. It's not your church, it's his church, amen? And aren't you thankful that it's his church? That is, you don't have to try and run it, because you'd make a mess of it, as would I. But it's his church, and so we are together in this body, in this flock, in, uh, this, um, in this local church, loving others, um, will cause respecting others to uh, come easy, frankly. It's because I will see you as having infinite worth. You have infinite worth to the degree that Jesus died for you. And therefore, I ought to view you uh, as uh, being that special, being that special of a brother, that special of a sister in God's family. You know, I, I, I sure hope it is easy for you to love one another in the body of Christ. Amen? A brother, a sister in the Lord. It ought to be easy. Uh, it ought to be, you ought to almost have to try. And I'm telling you, I don't know, I, maybe, I'm, uh, maybe I'm unique in this. 
I don't think there's a single member of the body of Christ here that I don't love. I can't, Kathy, don't name any names. <laughs> I don't, I'm sure that there's not. Every single one. You know what she did uh, before we were married six years ago? She took a church directory uh, with pictures on it, never having been a part of this church, and started memorizing your faces and your names uh, and started loving you before she ever landed here. Well, that, that's what it is. That's putting the gospel on display by being a citizen in loving others. Amen? So we're called, the first thing, if we're going to put the gospel on display, I need to stand firm in conducting myself as the kind of citizen God would have and he would want. Notice also, let's, let's, let's look at the end of verse 27. Not only am I to stand firm, uh, I'm to strive fervently. Notice at the end of verse 27, not only stand firm, but that you with one mind, one spirit, one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. It's a fantastic Greek word, uh, this striving. The root is the word for athlete. So before uh, we had citizen of a kingdom, now we've got an athlete on a team. Uh, in that very same verse, these two different concepts. But uh, it has a, a prefix on this word athlete. Literally, the English word is athlete if you transliterated it. Uh, it has a prefix which means together. So we are um, uh, together on the same team. We're teammates. We're teammates on God's team. And we're striving together in that, in one spirit and in one mind. We're exhorted to be that type of a teammate. Now notice in verse 27, notice it says, in one spirit, Anybody have a capital S on that? Anybody? Everybody? Anybody have a lowercase s on one spirit? Most of you do. Good. Uh, two schools of thought. One school believes it's talking about the Holy Spirit. That is uh, 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 the Holy Spirit. He has put, you made you one in one body. Others, and I'm in this camp, uh, believe it's talking about the human spirit because it doesn't have a definite article in front of it. It just says spirit. And it is juxtaposed with the, the pneuma, spirit, is juxtaposed with the suke, the soul or the mind. And so uh, uh, you're there physically, get your mind, get your spirit, all the whole being going in the same direction. Locked arms as teammates striving together for the same goal. Now remember, we're out of the citizenship illustration and now we're into team sports, like the Chiefs, like the Royals, that kind of a thing. What would it require to put the gospel on display as we have partnership on the same team? Let me offer. You got to listen to the coach. You have to listen to the coach because he's the one in charge. And 1 Corinthians 12 says, he's the one who has sovereignly assigned you the position that you have through spiritual gifts, through, uh, through uh, opportunities, when you were born, where you were born, uh, circumstances in your life. He has providentially put you where you are, put me where I am, and has a purpose in doing so. Therefore, just like the coach on the team, uh, if, uh, if you have, we, uh, the Chiefs drafted a, a, a six foot two, 335 pound nose guard 
in this draft this weekend. This guy is as big as he is tall. That's good for a nose guard. You don't want your place kicker looking like that, being built like that. You follow? In other words, the nose guard has a place on the team. The kicker has a place on him. You have a place on God's team. I have a place on God's team. And we are to follow the instruction, the leadership of the coach. Secondly, you have to play by the rules. You have to play by the rules. That is, the head coach, Jesus, has provided his word parameters which responsible team members will in fact follow. And we ought not have any difficulty in knowing what those parameters are. It very clearly tells us right here in the Word of God how we are to conduct ourselves, how we're to put the gospel on display as partners, teammates, on God's team. Also, how, how, how else do you put it on display? How else do you win? Well, you must support one another. That's literally the meaning of striving. It's together with, together with one another. And so, I can't be soloing it, nor should I be absent, away without leave, or not participating, just kind of sitting on the sidelines. Folks, teammates, some of them do not sit on the sidelines. They're not up in the stands. They're actually down there on the field. I've been to Chiefs games with Brother Maceo, and uh, we've never had, when we sat by one another at the game, uh, we've never had one of the Chiefs players come up and sit with us. Oh, to be sure, we've asked. Uh, we've pled with them. They won't do it. Why? Because the, the action takes place on the field, actually supporting one another. The offensive line is protecting the billion-dollar quarterback. And he's throwing to the overpaid wide receivers who make a show of things in the end zone. And you understand how it works. It's supporting one another. And in the church, we are partners together, striving together, working athletically toward the same goal. Of course, it's the glory of God. This text is full of truth for the local church. And then ultimately... If we're striving together as athletes, we're pursuing victory. We're, we're not here just playing a game. We're not here just getting along and all. We're not spectators. We're in a spiritual battle all our days, and the battle is becoming more and more defined and refined every day, every month, every year. Folks, I'm telling you, 10 years ago in the pastorate, I don't know that I ever could have imagined, I'm sure none of us could have ever imagined where our country would be today just a decade ago. And certainly those of us who have lived uh, any length of time at all, 50 years ago, we couldn't really have imagined where we are now. And yet we are where God has us, and we're still to pursue victory. We're still to invade the enemy's camp. We're still to rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Uh, There is a world to win for Christ And we're to be a part of that. Now notice, it's all for gospel faith. Look at verse 27. With one spirit, one mind, striving together, athletes together on the same team, for the faith of the gospel. Well, what is that faith? Well, it's any number of of components. God is glorious. Man is depraved. A way has been made through the cross. 
He is the way, the truth, and the life. Faith in Him, uh, living out our lives in holiness unto Him. The full package uh, of the gospel message. Look, look what happens. Look at the fruit uh, of, this, of this message when it is shared. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses, 1 uh, verses 18 through 24. Look what Paul told the Corinthians. For the preaching of the cross, or you could say the gospel as it is proclaimed, is to them that perish foolishness. Those who don't care, they just render it as, as foolishness. But unto those of us who are saved, it's the power of God. How is it the power of God? Because it raised you from spiritual deadness to spiritual life. Amen? That's powerful when you can raise the dead. For, uh, the, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I'll bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent, that is, those who are wise in their own minds. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after, for after um, that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believed. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews, a stumbling block. Unto the Greeks, foolishness. But unto them who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. What it is saying is, as we put the gospel on display through our own lives and the life of this church, there are going to be many who find it to be a stumbling block. I'm not believing he's the only way. There's many ways that lead to heaven. There are going to be others who are going to say that it's foolishness. Oh, no, no. When we die, that's just the end of it. Uh, There isn't anything more. But those who are called, those uh, that God has his hand upon, when we share with them, they'll say, yes, Lord, and God's power will transform them and save them. We are called to put the gospel uh, on display as partners, and he will do the saving. He will do the harvesting. That's not your responsibility, right? Amen? So let's be all about that. Verse 28 tells us that the gospel is put on display through fear. Look it. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries. Don't be terrified, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation. Those who try to put you in fear, they show their true colors. Believers who will not succumb to fear show their true colors. Folks, if you ever catch me with a government um, order that comes out, uh, with some ordinance, with some, with some law that is in direct contradiction and violation of the Word of God, i.e. the sanctity of human life, if you hear me, uh, if you notice that I am skirting around it, that I'm avoiding it, that I am, uh, uh, let's all just get along and, and can't we just all uh, agree that God is loving all? Would you just dog slap me? And if I don't, I, don't, I don't respond to the dog slap, then maybe you just have to fire me because this church deserves and God deserves a pulpit which is aflame for biblical truth. Amen? Now, really, I'm serious about that. If I start going wayward, if I start going off the rails in some way, maybe through no fault of my own, that is, it's not intentional, 
then do something about it. Because to God be the glory, by his grace and for his glory, for nearly 60 years, this local church, long before I ever even knew the Lord, preached, Jesus says, God's word is true, let's follow him. We want to continue and only continue down that path. And so, verse 28 says, unbelievers, Christ deniers, Bible haters, they're showing their true colors. And those of us who stand for truth, we're also showing our true colors. We're putting the gospel on display as we partner together uh, in serving him. And child of God, don't fear because you can't lose. See, we're under the point pursue victory. You can't lose Um, no matter how bad it gets here, no matter how difficult it gets. Um, it's really not heavy, and it's not forever. Even in your own personal life, it's not heavy, your burden, and it's not forever. You say, well, it feels heavy. I know, been there, done that. I understand that it can feel heavy, but listen to 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. For our, what affliction? Light. My cancer is a light affliction, if you had that. My job loss is a light affliction. My uh, being widowed is a light affliction. Parent dying, as we've had that taking place, a wayward child, divorce, uh, whatever uh, car wreck, you put in uh, the example. It is a light affliction. doesn't weigh very much at all. And by the way, also, it's just for a moment. It's not for eternity. But in it, it works, these, these difficulties work, energize in us a far more exceeding and eternal weight. Now, what we can anticipate in the midst of these difficulties is heavy, and it is forever. And what is that? The glory of God. It's an eternal and exceedingly heavy uh, weight of glory. How do we do it? We don't look at the things uh, at, that are seen we just kind of, we don't stare at that. Uh, you don't stare uh, at, your, your, at the loss of your spouse or the, the diagnosis of your cancer or, or your bankruptcy. Don't stare. Glance at that. And because you know it, it actually is happening. You don't want to pretend it's not. Glance at that and gaze upon the Savior. You see, we don't focus on that which is seen. We focus on that which is not seen. For the things which are seen, they're temporal, they're light, they're wasting away, they're passing by. Those are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And so I pursue victory. We partner together in this athletic contest. We're teammates, but we're pursuing victory. How? By casting our gaze upon the greatness and the glory of God. And so... We stand strong, stand firm. We, uh, we uh, strive together. And then finally, in verse 29, we're called to suffer faithfully. Notice verse 29. For unto you it is given on behalf of Christ, not only to believe, but also to suffer for his sake. 
Notice it has been given uh, is a passive verb. That is, God has given it to us. And you all who are in your small groups, uh, when, when you meet in your small groups, any small groups meet tonight? Hold your hand up if you meet tonight in a small group. Ha- hold your hand up if you meet Monday night in a small group. Oh, a lot of you meet on Monday night. Uh, uh, so hold your hand up if you meet Tuesday night, Thursday night, Friday night. Some of you. Sa- any small groups meet on Saturday? Okay, well, you, especially you Friday and you Saturday, uh, you're going to have to lock this in because you're going to hear about it in your small group. Remember, I'll give you a little teaser right now. Hope I don't get in trouble with Jordan on this. Give you a little teaser. And that is, what's up with God saying you are called to suffer? You're his child. He loves you. He's given himself for you. And yet, in that is a calling to suffer? Hmm. More on that in your small group this week. But it's a passive verb, meaning it's the action is happening to you or upon you. And of course, God is the one who allows suffering to come your way. Why? Well, it, it immediately deepens my dependence on him. God help. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, instantly I cry out to him because I can't handle this on my own. Um, it's spiritually beneficial when it is uh, received Properly, And 1 Peter 2 talks about that. Verses 19 through 21, it says, For this is thankworthy. This is worthy of thanks. If a man for conscience toward God endure grief. If that's how you do it, then that's great. So, and he's suffering wrongfully. That is, someone's persecuting you. Uh, someone's slandering you. Ripping you off. If you for conscience toward God, if you endure grief and you suffer wrongfully, this is thankworthy. For what glory is it if, when you're buffeted for your own faults, you shall take it patiently? But if when you do well and suffer for it, and you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were you called, Christ suffered, he left us an example, and we're to follow in his steps. We're called to suffer as well. Paul told them, He was an example of suffering. Notice, it says, of what you have seen in me. Verse 30, you saw in me when I was in jail in Philippi, and you now hear to be in me. I'm in jail in Rome. Why? Because of putting the gospel on display. And Paul said, you are my partners, and the same is going to happen to you. And Red Bridgers, he is saying through the word of God, we are in partnership We're in gospel partnership. Put it on display. Get out there. Let go. Cut loose with complete abandon and say, in the workplace and in the neighborhood and in the family uh, and wherever God has you, I am his. And I'm standing for the truth of the word of God. For the sake of the gospel, won't you hear what he has done? for sinners like you as you share with your neighbor, with your co-worker, with your classmate. Let's put the gospel on display all our days. Lord, I'm so thankful for this text, how uh, I've been invigorated by it in these days and convicted by it as well, trained by it and through it. And Lord, would you allow each one of us, not just even allow, empower each one of us, as well as this corporate church 
to put the gospel on display all the time you have us on this earth. That wherever we are, not with haughtiness, not with self-righteousness, but just in complete humble dependence on you, let the God-haters, the Bible-deniers know that God is. He is the judge. He is the one who will judge the living and the dead one day. But there's hope in Christ and that we will share him with the lost and dying world. Lord, wherever any one of us are, you have your way in our lives. You are Lord. May we yield in a fresh and a new way, even in this.